or at the set-aside prayer, God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy on me. Help me to carry your message today, tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going through Bill's story. And um, it's taken us uh, four sessions to get to page 13. Uh, there's so much in here. Um, Ebby Thatcher went to Bill W.'s house in November 1934, and we read about that. And that was what I call the hand of God in AA, because Bill was dying, and he was sitting at his kitchen table. And he thought, when Ebby called him, that Ebby would drink with him. And, and uh, Ebby came, and he said he was sober. And then Ebby told him that he had a religious idea and a pro simple program of action. And Bill thought he was ranting, and he could outdrink his ranting. And that was on page uh, uh, nine. But he said uh, he did know ranting at the bottom of the page. He told of the simple religious idea. And then Ebby shared his experience with Bill. And then uh, Bill uh, was looking at Ebby sober. And he said, this is something. This is a testimony, because he'd never seen Ebby sober. Now, Ebby was only sober 60 days. Uh, he had been rescued from going to prison in Vermont by Roland Hazard and C. Hargraves, Seabrook Hargraves, who was the judge's son. And they were alcoholics. Roland Hazard is the one in Bill's uh, There's a Solution who goes to Dr. Young. And Dr. Young gave him the answer to his problem. But Dr. Young did not have a program of action. And Roland uh, uh, went to the Oxford group, and they had six steps. And they rescued Ebby, and Ebby worked the six steps in two months. And they said, you have to witness to someone. So he thought of Bill W. And uh, he went to Bill's house. And so bills he's talking about God. And on page 10, Bill's, bills fighting this idea of God, of a supreme existence of someone who was the czar of the universe. And uh, on uh, page uh, 11, he talks about that Ebby um, uh, sat right before him in the first paragraph, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. And Bill couldn't argue with Ebby. He couldn't argue with Ebby, what had happened to Ebby. He could see it in Ebby, and that's what people are supposed to see in us who come here, who are desperate. They want to see that there is a solution and that we should be the solution and then tell them how we did it and take them, ask them if they want to do what we did. And so, um, and then he asked himself, had this power originated in Ebby? He said no, he obviously had not because he had no more power in him. Than, than Bill had. And he said, that floored him. And then he said, here was something in the human heart that was doing the impossible. So it was a miracle. Remember we talk about where we're, we are miracles. We're miracles today, everybody here. And then he says at the bottom of that page, I saw that my friend was more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. He was a different roots grass to new soil. And those who've been coming a long time know I talk about how AA, the, the steps, the 12 steps are really designed 
for me to replant my tree. My tree needs to be planted in God's soil. And if it is, then the bark of the tree will, will be God's character and there'll be fruit on the branches. And if my tree is planted in my soil, then the bark of the tree is all my character defects and my personality of self-will. And the fruit on the tree is anger and fear and shame and guilt. And when I came in, that's how my tree looked. And I've tried to plant my tree in God's soil. And then steps 10, and then and steps four through nine are designed to do that. And then 10 and 11 are designed to keep us in conscious contact with God. And so that our roots are in God and not myself. And we have to fight it all day long, like uh, Jenny and Ken talked about. And then he was saying, well, uh, he still wasn't ready to give sway to this idea, but Ebby said to him, why don't you choose your own conception of God? It's in Squiggly writing. There's some controversy in any history if Ebby actually used that exact expression, but that's what he was basically telling Bill. You know, choose your own conception of God. And then this, these, these two lines really hit me. He goes, that statement hit him hard. And what it did, it melted the icy intellectual mountain in which he had shadow he had lived and shivered many years. Built had built this icy intellectual mountain. Think about it. That was blocking him from God. And I did the same thing. I could do it today. I could do it on the way home. And so he said, um, I lived and shivered, I, and he stood in the sunlight at last. Just the idea that he was willing to let go of that old idea that was blocking him from God. And he stood in the sunlight. And then it says uh, in squiggly writing, and here's the second step, I was only a matter of, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required to me to make my beginning. But this willing to believe is 100% willingness. It's a turn away from ourselves because of our hopeless situation. And when you're completely defeated, that moment of completely defeat, you want to turn yourself away from yourself. And for us to do that is really a big deal. It's a major achievement for us. And it's just the beginning now. And he saw that growth could start from this point upon a foundation of complete willingness. That is complete willingness. I might build what I saw in my friends. So he wanted what Abby had. And he was willing to change his ideas. He had melted the icy intellectual mountain that he had built between him and God. And he said, I can be willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. And then he says, thus I was convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him enough. And then he says, at long last I saw, I felt, I believed, scales of pride and prejudice. Think of that. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. It's so beautiful. How the, just his, just the change of getting rid of his old idea. And he was willing to move into the sunlight because and that's what happened to me when i asked god to help me i knew something happened my life was still an effing mess for quite a while but i still felt like i had somebody sending people in my life to help me and gave me on the path to him and he says the real significance of the, his experience in the cathedral burst upon him because for a brief moment and this was when he was a soldier in England during World War I, I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humble willingness to have him with me. And he came. 
But here's what he did, and I did it too. But soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors. Anybody do that? I did that my whole life. And he says, mostly those within myself. So they really weren't even real, a lot of them. They were just my ideas of what I needed to do so people would approve of me and like me and I could be okay. And so it had been ever since how blind I had been. When you do your four step, you realize how blind I'd been about everything. And uh, all my resentments weren't true, my fears weren't true, and, and I could see that my shame and guilt was from decisions I made based upon self. So here it goes, here's Bill taking the steps in the town's hospital. At the hospital, I was separated from alcohol, page 13, for the first, last time. Treatment was seen wise, for I showed signs of delirium tremens. And here he goes, he goes, there, I humbly offered myself to God. Humbly, absence of self, meek. Um, as I then understood him, to do with me as he would, similar to our third step, right? And we have to humbly ask God all the time for help. Humbly means I know without God, I, I, there's no hope for me. That if I'm running the show, I'm just gonna screw it up and I can't have any peace. And so I have to ask God all the time, help me God, I, I don't want to run the show. Doesn't it say that we remind ourselves that we are no longer running the show when we are agitated, doubtful, we pause and ask God's, God's uh, right thought and action, reminding ourselves I'm no longer running the show. And then he, he says, I place myself unreservedly, notice the words here, humbly, unreservedly, under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. So he admitted, this is the first time he admitted that he, 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 he couldn't do it. Now when he started his story, he was a drive for success, remember? And he was gonna be the leader of vast enterprises and that was gonna make him feel good and be okay. But that didn't work, did it? And then, I ruthlessly faced my sins and sins of action and thought and became willing to have my newfound friend, capital F, God, take them away root and branch. So he's doing his fourth, fifth, and sixth and seventh steps here. I've not had a drink since. Now that was 1934 and he died in 1971. Now for those of you who've been with us or have read this story before, things were really bad for Bill. On page eight, he was surrounded by quicksand. He was in a morass of self-pity. Alcohol was his master. And he went from that, trembling with fear. He left from that to come to this point in the hospital. And then something happened in the hospital to Bill. And we're here today. I don't know about you, but it's really the hand of God. Because Bill wasn't any different than us or better than us. He was just an alcoholic. My schoolmate, Abby, visited me and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies, his resentments, his fears, uh, character defects, that's what we inventory. We made a list of people I'd hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals admitting my wrong, notice entire willingness, humbly, unreservedly, ruthlessly. The words in here, there's no half measures. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability, and I wrote, dash with God's direction. 
I was to test my thinking of the, by the new God consciousness within. So we're talking about our problems, conscious separation from God in my head, right? And the solution is conscious contact with God. So he's my director. And he's now got a new consciousness. And isn't that what it says at the end of step four and five? It says we've found a new, a new relationship with God. And the old one is falling away because uh, God's coming into our lives. We're God seekers. Common sense with us become uncommon sense. So what he used to think made sense now doesn't. And what he thought didn't now does. That's a change in our ideas, right? And uh, for me, I realized I was wrong about everything I thought when I came in here. I thought I was right about everything, and they were all wrong, but no. It was all, I was seeing things wrong because I was seeing them through Michael's glasses. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction, strength to meet my problems as he would have me. You see, that's, that's on page 86. It says you know, that's what we're supposed to do every morning. Ask God's direction, pray for him to direct my thinking. When we have indecision, we're to ask him to give us the right thought or action. We're to meditate on during the day that he shows me what the right, what the right thing is to do and give me the power to do it. Never was I to pray for myself except as my request bore my usefulness to others. Then only I might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure. So he's going from a self-centered individual fighting the idea of God to now wanting to serve God and have his direction. My friend promised, this is a great paragraph, my friend promised when these things were done, and we can promise people when you do these things, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator, and that's true in my life today. And then I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems, and that's what we learn. We get an elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Because I really only had situations, and my problem was me and my thinking. So the elements of a way of life, now here's what's required. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain and order, order things with the essential requirements. So if we're gonna do this, new or old, I have to believe in the power of God, and I have to have enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish this new relationship with God and maintain it. It says establish and maintain the new order of things, and these are the essential requirements, and that's what we want to do, right? I don't want to run the show anymore. I want to establish a new relationship with God. And it says simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. What's the price we have to pay? all the time. I meant the destruction of my self-centeredness. I have to watch for self all day long. It says on page 85, four, we watch for selfishness, society, resentment, and fear with God because we're in the world of the spirit now. And when these crop up, we ask God it wants to remove them. And so in the beginning, we, we get enough uh, distance from our self-centeredness to enter God's world, and then we want to stay there. We want God to work in our lives. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light, F, capital F and L, Father Light, I think that's from the book of James, who presides over us all. 
So he has to turn away from himself, destroy his self-centeredness, turn in all things to God. And to do that, he has to have enough belief in God, enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain this. Pretty simple. The whole program is in what? Six paragraphs, seven paragraphs of what we need to do, the actions. He goes, these were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. Now, something happened to Bill that doesn't happen to everybody. But Bill had to have a profound spiritual experience if he was going to go on and carry this message to others. And it's similar, Joan Charlie said, similar to Saul on the Damascus Road. Something happened to Saul. He was on the Damascus Road going to kill Christians. And then the light stopped him, and Saul changed. And he became a new man, and then he went out and became the greatest evangelist and teacher and, and writer. And something happened to Bill. Uh, Bill, something happened. I was a sense of victory followed by peace and serenity I'd never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though a great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. Now, uh, he had a sudden spiritual experience. And some people have slower spiritual experience. But what Sandy Beach says, when, it, when you have that experience, it's always suddenly. Because that's that moment. You suddenly realize. And um, a lot of people in the beginning of AA, when they read the book, thought they had to have this kind of experience. But so they put a chapter in the spiritual experience in addition to, which talks about how people have a different, uh, don't have to have the sudden experience. We grow gradually into it. And I, I, my ex experience is still growing. It's still changing. And some people can talk about the more you do it, the closer to God you feel, the more you keep doing it. And it says, I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountaintop blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but its impact on me was sudden and profound. For a moment I was alarmed. I called my friend the doctor, and he, he asked the doctor if he was Crazy. Now, a lot of people think AA is a cult. There used to be articles, you can look at them. Maybe not so more anymore, but in the beginning. And that Bill was having DTs when this happened. I don't think any people said that have ever seen anybody with DTs. They weren't doing this. Um, finally, so the doctor said, something has happened to you I don't understand. This is Dr. Silkworth, who wrote Doctor's Opinion. But you better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way you were. The good doctor now sees many men who have such experiences. He knows that they are real. We know they're real, don't we? I can look around the room and see people I knew when they came in, and they've changed. And I don't know uh, if anybody's here when I came in, but I've changed. I was a mess. Uh, and um, he says, well, now here's, here's Bill self-centered, sitting at his kitchen table, going to out-drink Ebby. He's fighting the guide idea. He changes his, his willing to believe. He melts the icy intellectual mountain. He starts, he goes into the hospital. He, he, he does this, these, these actions to give him a relationship with God. And he, now he says, uh, well, I lay in the hospital, thought came that there are thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what I've been so freely given me. So he's immediately turning to service, 
something had transformed Bill. And uh, just reading this is so powerful. Perhaps I could help some of them. They in turn might work with others. And isn't that what this is all about? My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Isn't that step 12? Particularly, was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me? Faith without works was dead. If we don't do the deal, the way I see this is maybe different than uh, theological readers of the scripture, but faith without, if I don't keep doing the work, if I don't keep working the steps and, and maintaining my relationship with God, it's dead. God can't work in my life. And, and remember in AA, we talk about the difference between belief and faith. We start with belief, but through working the steps and having a relationship with God, we have true faith. We have true knowledge of God. We're no longer agnostics. And how appalling true for the alcoholic, and this is quite a lot, for if the alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. I think it's always... I'm always trying to work with somebody. I may not help them, but it, it, it helps me. And I always have people that I'm talking to every day. And, it, it, and remember, Bill didn't meet Bob for six months. So it was his trying to help the alcoholics like we're gonna read in the next paragraph that get, kept him sober. Then fa if he, and if he did not work, he would surely drink, and if he drank, he would surely die then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. My wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to the, to the solution. I, I'm gonna like to finish this tonight, so I'm gonna go a few more minutes. A solution to all of their problems. I was fortunate for my old business associates remained skeptical for a year and a half, during which time I found little work. I was not too well at the time and was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes drove me back to drink. Anybody get self-pity at all and resentment? I had it really, it gets, it's easier to deal with it now because I have the tools, the spiritual tools, but in the beginning it's hard. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I've gone to my old hospital in despair when talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted up and set on my feet. We always feel better when we work. I always feel better when I work with someone. It's a design for living that works in rough going. Isn't that a definition of the 12 steps? A design for living that works in rough going. Now remember, he told his wife that uh, uh, he hadn't been able to help anybody. Nobody had sobered up. But you know what she said to him? She said, but Bill, you're sober. And this was in... Uh, April or May of uh, 1935, and then he went to Akron. Remember, he had the business deal and it fell through, and he's sitting and standing in the lobby of the Mayflower Hotel, and he had no money. He didn't know how he was going to pay the bill. He was feeling kind of sorry for himself because he had all these hopes that he would get the big deal and then he'd be the big shot. But God had a different plan. But Bill looked at the bar and he started walking toward it, remember? And he said, Well, I can have a ginger ale and I'll hear the music. And then within a few steps, he says, well, I could have three drinks. <laughs> three drinks and, uh, and no more. And then he shivered and fear gripped him. That was God. And God said, bad idea, Bill. 
And he turned away from that. And he turned to the, the board at the other end of the hallway where they had the ministers and the church directory, and he found uh, Reverend Thunk and then Henrietta Cybrewing and Dr. Bob, and we're here today. Think about that. Absolutely, absolutely. Goodyear, we have to, for those listening to podcasts, we have Goodyear in here in Topeka. We make all the tires for the world. We commenced to make many fast friends and a fellowship has grown among us of which it is a wonderful thing to feel a part. The joy of living we really have. We can talk about that if you have that. Even under pressure and difficulty. I've seen hundreds of families, now we could talk about thousands, maybe millions, set their feet in the path that really goes somewhere. I've seen the most impossible domestic situations righted, feuds and bitterness of all sorts wiped out. I've seen men come, now remember 1939, he's writing to people, there's no big book, there's no AA. And they're reading this, and you're an alcoholic for the first time, think how powerful this is. I've seen men come out of asylums and resume, because this is a message of hope, right? This is his testimony, what it was like, what happened, and and what he did. He says, business and professional men have regained their standing. There's scarcely any form of trouble and misery which has not been overcome among us. Isn't that true? You can have a son die, you can have things happen like that, and you're able to deal with it with God. In one western city and its environs, this was uh, Cleveland, they called that western, was, there were 1,000 of us in our families. We meet frequently so that newcomers may find the fellowship they seek. And that's why we want to have a fellowship of the Spirit here where we're seeking God together so when people come, they can feel that and they can see the testimony. Something's happened to these people. At these informal gatherings, one may often see from 50 to 200 persons we are growing in number and power. Now remember when the book was written, there was only about 80 people sober, 70 or 80. <coughs> An alcoholic in his cups Self-pity is an unloving creature. Our struggles with them are variously strenuous, comic, and tragic. One poor chap committed suicide in my home. He could not or would not see our way of life. Don't we read that at every meeting? Your people cannot and will not give themselves to the simple program. Those men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. I went to meetings for a long time and heard that, and I didn't know what it meant. It meant that they're unable to face the fact that they either alcoholic death or live a spiritual life. They can't see the truth of their situation. They don't have that moment of defeat and that moment of seeing the clarity that there's no hope that they can fix this. I think that's a gift from God, that moment. Uh, I could still remember my moment. And a uh, famous speaker, uh, uh, Father Leo, says if you forget your moment, then you're going to relive it. We want to keep that moment alive. He says that's what alcoholics and I'm supposed to do. You go to the meeting, you say you're an alcoholic, you're keeping that moment alive so you don't repeat it. I think that makes a lot of sense. There is, however, a vast fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming whirliness and levity. We laugh at some of the weirdest things when people tell us. And we think it's pretty funny. Normal people say, well, what's so funny about driving the wrong way down the interstate? But just underneath there is deadly earnestness. And here it is again, faith has to work 24 hours a day in and through us or we perish. We have to keep doing it or we're gonna die. And we may not die physically, but we'll die spiritually. And who wants to live 
spiritually dead anymore. I don't. Most of us feel we need to look no further for utopia. And here's Alienza's story. We have it with us right here and now. And I, I get somewhat emotional when I read these lines because it's so powerful. Each day my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in the widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And that's us. Are we in that circle? And we want to give that to everybody. And then they have that little thing. Bill Dubbo, co-founder of AA, died January 24th, 1971. Isn't it something? I, I don't know how. He sat and wrote this, uh, these uh, 16 pages. They're so powerfully written. So uh, we'll close with that. We'll open up, and uh, people can share. Thank you.